The Crowncast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everyone. This is Justin, and uh, that means you are listening to The Crowncast. Uh, This is a Wednesday Crowncast. Once again, your normal host, Logan, is on vacation, his much-needed time off, and so I'm filling in as your primary host, and joining me as my co-host today, uh, a guy that you all know well at this point, this is Josh from Bank Spears and Soccers. Hey, Josh, how's it going? Well, I've been better. Um, sort of feel like the hangover hasn't quite gone from this game for some reason. Um, it's lasted a little bit longer than some other games, and it surprised me. But, uh, you know, I'm here. How are you doing, Justin? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm feeling very similarly, Josh, in that like a lot of weeks you can kind of shake off the loss and you can kind of go, okay, but we can look ahead. You know, we can improve. This weekend brings a new match. There's a lot of excitement for that. And this time... I don't know. It just feels different. I think it's the two losses in a row here against probably beatable opposition. You know, uh, it, it's it's been difficult to kind of drag back from this one and go, yeah, I, I feel good going into this coming weekend. Um, but, it, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about this. We lose this past weekend. For those of you who don't know, listeners, we lose this past weekend to Toronto. Uh, it's here in the vault, which I think makes it hurt that much more. Um, we played a pretty decent first half, Josh. I think that, that we handled things reasonably well there. Yeah, I agree. I, and I think especially in the, the opening little, little bit, maybe that first 10, 15 minutes, um, it felt like we were kind of going toe to toe with Toronto. We created a, a few chances here or there. Um, and it also felt we're reasonably containing Insigne and Bernadeschi. Um, Fuchs was having some adventures with Bernadeschi down that, down his side, but you know, it, nothing was overly concerning, at least in that first little bit. And yeah, as the, as the half went on, it, it felt evenly matched, I guess you could say, not necessarily exciting, but evenly matched. Yeah. And, uh, but, but it was a, half of not a whole lot going on you know and and this felt much like the orlando match you know this felt like a a relatively low energy half overall i i agree with you i think that we had some pep in the first 15 minutes or so i think that we saw some players getting forward i think you know vargas and and Lindsay kind of stood out in a couple of those situations and uh but it wasn't a world beater of a first half for anything. I was just happy that we managed to go in at the break. Uh, it had a nil-nil draw. And then, you know, we come out of the break and almost immediately there's this corner kick goal um, that uh, that Lorenzo Insigne scores at the back post. And uh, I remember at the match as we were watching, you had some concerns there about Kalina's performance uh, we talked in the post react about this is primarily on walks for letting Insigne drift free. But do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, has your opinion changed? Should Kalina do better in that situation? It it has. I, I have watched the goal again and I watched it again for my initial reaction. Um, I think I was being a little harsh on him. It's a it's a tough shot to do anything with. I mean, in my heart of hearts. Um, I really do wish he could have gotten something on it because it is a very small angle. But when you do watch that, I don't I don't really think it's fair to him to expect him to save it. It's one of those where if he makes that save, you are ecstatic. 
Um, and he doesn't, obviously. It happens really quick. He is drifting across his goal as well, and he's probably rightfully expecting uh, a defender to be, you know, closer to Insigne than they are. Um, so I think I was being a little harsh on him for that one. I, I do think so. Yeah, it's rough. It's a bouncing header. It's it's sort of in front of Kalina for this one. And really, if he's if he's flat or if he's set in that spot, I think it's relatively easy to go up and slap that one away. Um, because, like you said, he's moving across the goal. I think that makes it much more difficult uh, to get in and and try and get a hand to that one. Still a little disappointing. Um, uh, we see a substitute in between. Shinyashiki comes on for Vargas to look for something, and then uh, we do. Yes, uh, it's it's nice to see Shinyashiki get some minutes. Uh, it's I I don't really understand why he's not seeing more of that left wing. I mean, um, it was also just nice to see a sub before the seventieth minute, seventy fifth minute. Like that was that got me really excited. At that yep. point, I honestly really didn't care who you could have brought on marks for Kalina, <laughs> and I still would have been excited that something was being tried. Yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily help us out, right? Because Bernardeschi scores, and and this is um is a long cross field ball over to Fuchs's side, and Bernardeschi just. He dances a little bit, and then this is a class finish from a class player. It's a curled shot to the far post, sneaks just inside the post. There's not a lot that really can be done. Given the current, the way to put it, I think, right, Josh, is that Fuchs does the best he can here. Yeah. Yeah, he, um, I think it was, you know, Logan, actually, when we were at the game, who who made this point, but... When you watch this goal, Fuchs just, he doesn't have the athleticism anymore. He doesn't have the quickness to run with Bernadeschi, especially when he's one-on-one with him and Bernadeschi has some space where he can start going at him. So he's sort of limited to to just sort of backing off and hoping, I think, that reinforcements come and help him out and close Bernadeschi down. And so I think you can maybe call this an error, but I just feel like it's more of a limitation of where Fuchs is right now as a player. There's a bigger discussion to be had about, you know, if that's the case, how do you manage that? Um, But really on on his end, I think that this is really more just about the class of Insigne to pull away from Melanda to make the pass that he does. And then for Bernadeschi to just say, I'm going at this old man. He's not going to stop me and I'm going to put it in the back of the net. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't disagree. Like, I, I think that Kalina and Fuchs did absolutely the best they could here. I think for Fuchs, it's just not enough anymore to, to be in a position where he's one-on-one against a winger of that kind of skill. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's just you get scored on sometimes, no matter how, how well you play and everything, you get scored on. Yeah, and I I know I I feel like I've been harsh on Kalina with a you know a post I've made and some of the comments I've made, but I don't know that I expect any goalkeeper to save that shot. Really, um, it, it's just it's a really good finish, and again, it's it's the talent that in that is in Bernadeschi's boots. Yep, and so it's it's difficult to to knock a whole lot there. Now let's. The the bigger sort of part that I want to talk about with the Toronto match, and I've touched on it before, and I apologize to our listeners if this feels like retreading, but but I think it's important to kind of have a discussion. 
we see substitutes come in in the 79th minute. And we've got Jordi Alzavar on the bench. We've got Quinn McNeil on the bench. Uh, you know, we've got uh, Chris Heggert, who hasn't gotten a lot of minutes, but I, I personally rate him highly as sort of an attacking midfielder, creative player. Um, the the substitutes that we see are Daniel Rios on for Ben Bender and Joseph Mora on for Christian Fuchs. And yes, Daniel Rios is technically a forward. I think that we have all seen at this point the limitations of Daniel Rios for for goal scoring. I think it is a lot to say, Daniel Rios, go out there and find us the goal. I think we're better off with a uh, Jordi Alcivar coming on, even though Alcivar hasn't really been played much. He's a creative midfielder. You know, Quinn McNeil for Bender gives you more of a like for like substitute or, or a Chris Heggert. Jordi Reyna, who would come on later in this match in the 85th minute for, for Kamil Yazwiak, would have been at this point in the, you know, we're already in the 80th minute, you know, we're down two goals to nothing and, and we're in the 80th minute waiting for more changes. The tactical decisions that Christian Latanzio continues to make are frustrating to me and, and I think have cost this squad a couple of uh, matches on the trot and you know, going back to, we had the discussion after Orlando of this is the same lineup that played against NYCFC, but you don't need the same lineup that played against NYCFC, you know, in that Orlando match. You need a different recipe. And that's, I think, where the frustration comes in. Josh, we were talking before this about it's not about the just the hot hand or just the tactics. It's about a combination of the two. Yeah. It, it's one of those things where there is there is something to be said about playing a hot hand, but I think my issue with Latanzio is that he plays a hot hand as a whole squad rather than an individual player. Um, looking at that NYCFC game, I think that there's a lot of players who justified their next start. Um, I don't think that everyone did. You know, Vargas jumps to mind with with that game. Um, I think you can justify a little bit more, you know, Jones starting after his NYC performance, but I think you also make a good, really good point of... Yeah, he had a good game against NYC, but did we need that type of player against Orlando? And I think as a manager, it's your job to to make those decisions, but also to communicate with a player that, yeah, you had a good game, but we got to go somewhere else. And just to jump back just a little bit to the Rios thing, um, this is a guy, he is at 51 career MLS appearances. He has six career goals we are bringing him on to change a game uh, for what I thought was probably our most, one of our more creative players of that game with Bender. I would have preferred to keep Bender on unless he was literally just gassed completely and couldn't, couldn't keep going. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I, 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 you know, when you talk about the tactical decisions that Christian Latanzia makes, I think there's a lot of questions that have to be asked. I think that this midfield, you know, you're not going to get attacked by Toronto, through the middle, not dangerously. Your your danger is on the wings. If you feel like you need help, I, I feel like the tactical change to make here would have been Mora starting over Fuchs because Mora gives you at least a little bit faster legs up against Bernardeschi. But but I also think the the sort of spine of Akinola and Michael Bradley doesn't scare me with a ton of creativity. 
And so I don't think you need the defensive solidity that a combination of Derek Jones and Brant Bronico brings you. I think you're better off throwing a little bit more forward. And that's where I agree with you about, you know, why are you going, you know, hot hand for the whole squad rather than saying, oh, well, maybe Vargas sits for, you know, maybe Shinyashiki starts this one instead of coming on as a sub. Maybe Jones sits. And like you said, I think it's a really important thing for a manager. Uh, this is the man management part of it that I actually think the Christian Latanzia tends to do pretty well. Um, but you you go to Derek Jones and you say, hey, great match against NYCFC. Absolutely phenomenal performance. Big part of this team. This is not the match for those particular talents. And I think it's important that you can communicate that if if you're going to be a good manager um, uh, of this team and of these players. Um, so it's it's definitely continues to be a source of frustration. I think that another piece of it that you know we talked about pre-recording here, Josh, is the number of goals that we have conceded coming out of halftime. So. Um, I can't remember which match it was. I think it was right before Chicago Fire, but I think the stat that I heard right after Jordi Reyna scored that first-minute goal against Chicago Fire is we scored eight goals in the first 15 minutes of matches across this season, which is great. It means we start hot. Again, we started pretty hot against Toronto. We didn't see the goals, but like you said, the first 10, 15 minutes, we had a lot of energy. We had conceded as of that Chicago match 10 goals in the first 15 minutes of the second half. Which, you know, Josh, you mentioned what what that means in our pre-match conversation. Yeah, to me, it just screams that your tactics have been found out, right? Um, One of the frustrations, especially over the past few games, you know, going back to that L.A. game, is that you have this first half where things are competitive. um, You feel like you're in it. Maybe you're a little surprised (laughs) that you're in it, but you're still in it. And then the second half hits and all of a sudden the wheels kind of fall off. And as you're saying, they don't fall off in the 80th minute. They fall off right after half. And to me, that just says that the other manager is finding out what we're doing and they're adapting better than Christian Latanzio is doing. This is also a case where this is his first managerial position. You know, it, it, we have to give him a little bit of leeway when it comes to that, I guess. But it is frustrating to to see it happening consistently where the other teams are better, I think, just able to make uh, changes to whatever they're doing and we're not for whatever reason that is. Yeah. And, and you know, I think you put all of these things together. You put this sort of cold streak. Setting aside, you know, NYCFC is, at this point looks like such a fluke. Uh, NYCFC, I think, is is sort of going through their own downturn, and we may have just caught them at the right time. But, but we, like, we just don't look like I, I am honestly concerned with the tactics that we've got and everything else. Whether or not we can t- find points over the rest of this season, uh, it's and and because of all of that, because of sort of the tactical immaturity that I think we've seen from Christian Latanzia. I think, you know, the final nail is absolutely in the coffin that this guy is not the long-term coach for Charlotte FC, uh, going to be, you know, moving on at the end of the season. I doubt this is a situation where a new manager comes in and Christian Latanzio happily goes back to being an assistant to that manager. Uh, I, 
I think that we're probably moving on and thanking Christian Latanzia for his efforts and for his time, but uh, revamping things after this year. What do you think, Josh? I I think you're absolutely correct, and and I think it's a tough break for for Latanzio as well. I think if you know if we're a second division squad, right? If we're a third division squad in any league. I think maybe Latanzio gets a little bit more time because I think it's clear that the players do enjoy him and they do like him. And I, I'm of the opinion that I do think these players, most of them have gone better at something during his time. But when you're, you know, first division level, you really just, you don't want to give that time for a manager to, to learn. It does happen. I mean, we can talk about, you know, I'm an Arsenal fan. Arsenal have given Arteta basically three years to learn on the job. And, you know, it's looking better. But I don't think very many clubs want to spend that long uh, betting in a new manager because it's not a guarantee that after three years he'll be better. Um, and so I, I think you're right. I think they they gave him a shot. I think he's done. Overall, I think he's done a good job with a, with a, t- with a flawed team but I don't think he's done enough to keep his job. And I don't see why a manager would want to keep him. Um, I'm sure he's a great coach. I'm sure he's a good guy. But if I'm a manager, I don't want to have to fight with authority um, with Christian Latanzio when he's already had relations with, with the team that I'm coming into. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I think that may be enough uh, sort of belaboring the Toronto match because it was not a a moment of joy for us. (laughs) So I'm going to go ahead and talk about something that that I uh, do get joy out of, that I am proud of, and that's the website for this podcast. Crowncast.net is out there now. It is live. You're starting to see content, uh, both from Logan and myself. You're starting to see that's where a lot of the content from our post-game interviews, uh, from our photography at the match, uh, from our pre-game interviews of the fans and the crowd uh, there in the stadium, uh, that's all hosted out there on uh, on our new website. So we absolutely encourage all of you to, to head out there. Um, I tell you what, we're going to be uh back in the vault there for the the nycfc match uh that's the 10th of september um we're gonna be back in the vault for uh was it philly on the first of october if you've got any questions if you've got a particular player that you want us to interview post match for either of those let us know message us uh via there's a contact us form on the website again it's crowncast.net let us know what kind of questions you'd like answered what you'd like to know about some of your favorite Charlotte FC players, and we will do what we can to get that for you. Um, moving on, though, talking about, you know, upcoming matches, NYCSC here in Charlotte, Philadelphia Union here in Charlotte, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we are on the road this week uh, going up to Cincinnati. This is a Cincinnati team that we beat earlier this year. Uh, was that our first? No, that wasn't our first win of the season, but uh, I think that was our first clean sheet. Yeah, I think it was our second. Weren't they after? Were they after New England? They were. Yeah, they were just after New England. It was our first clean sheet, second win of the season. That was, you know, again the the brace from Swiderski when we all thought this was the the Polish sniper and he was going to go on and put fifteen past the keeper over the course of the season, something like that. Uh, expectations there haven't necessarily been met. But uh, but we're going into another match. Uh, Josh, is there is there something in particular we should look out for with Cincinnati? 
So there's a couple things that I find interesting about this team. Uh, the first thing is that they are weirdly mediocre at home. They are 4-4-6 four, four, and six at home, and they are 4-4-5 four, four, and five on the road. So if you're looking for maybe something positive, it's that they don't really have a home fortress. Uh, that's a good thing for us because as we are, all are very <laughs> aware of, Charlotte struggles on the road. Um, obviously, they're not bad. They're still, you know, getting points at home. But I did think it was interesting for a team that is uh, close in the standings to the playoffs. Uh, they don't have a great home record. And that's that's not normally something that you see uh, very often. The other thing that I think we all have to pay attention for is they do have a striker who has put goals past uh, a keeper. And that is Vasquez, who is very scary. Um, there's nothing really fluky about him. I was looking into him a little bit and he is the real deal. He is at 16 goals on 13 XG. So nothing that says he's overperforming that much. None of those goals have been PKs, which I always like to see from a striker because PKs can easily inflate a striker's total, but he doesn't have one on the year. So he is getting them the honest way. And I think the most interesting thing about him is that he has five goals with his right foot, he has five goals with his left foot, and he has six goals with his head. So he is a man who will literally score anywhere you put him on the field with any part of his body, which is a little scary considering the, the de defensive deficiencies we've had the past couple games. Mm. Uh, that sounds dangerous. So they... they... Uh, remind me, they play two at the top, right? Which is maybe a little different than some of what we've seen lately. Is that going to be extra difficult with as effective as Vasquez is in attack with, with, you know, maybe Melanda is starting again, who did a great job against Toronto. Yeah. Um, but again, is inexperienced and, and, you know, we've seen walks has some errors in him. So. Yeah, they do. So it depends on where you look to see what they're playing. They're, they're playing a three at the back or a back five, depending on where you look, but they do play two strikers. So up top with Vasquez is going to be Brenner. And actually Brenner is having himself another good year, is having himself a good year. He's at nine goals for the year. Hmm. Um, and he actually balances Vasquez out pretty well. They're, they're a good tandem. Um, Brenner is a good passer for a forward. He's a average above average finisher. Vasquez is an elite finisher sort of an average, maybe a little bit below average passer. And then they're backed up by Acosta, who is tied for second in the league with assists. Um, I will say, interestingly, of, that, of Vasquez's 16 goals, Acosta has only assisted him twice. Mm. He's assisted Brenner six times, so him and yeah. Brenner actually have a much better connection um, just in direct play than Vasquez and Acosta. But yeah, all three of them are going to cause our backline problems. All right, so maybe this is a match because it sounds like the the thrust of the attack. Maybe this is a match where, you know, Derek Jones in the midfield might be uh, better for us, getting that defensive solidity up the center. Uh, it, is there an area maybe where we might find some joy against Cincinnati? So there, there's two things I would look out for. Uh, the first thing is that Cincinnati, unlike a lot of our more recent uh, opponents, they don't really look to possess the ball very much. 
Um, they're in the 40s for possession. Again, possession is not the end-all be-all because I will say they're also, even though I think that 45% possession they have is like fifth worst in the league, but their shots on target per game are like fifth best in the league. So they will create some very good opportunities per game, even if they're not having the ball. But I think that goes to, towards your point of maybe having someone a little bit more creative in that midfield. Maybe this would be a good time to have McNeil come back into the team for Derek Jones. Um, and then they do, they do ship a lot of goals. Uh, I think they're at negative three goal differential for the, for the season. You know, they have an older player in, in, in Jeff Cameron back there. He's 37. Uh, they did just sign Matt Miazga, uh, the famous Chelsea player for two games. Um, so, you know, he's only played a couple games, so they are looking to get a little bit younger and short up, but defensively, they're not super stout. So I, I think it's about really how well do we deal with that attack and how well do we choose our moments going forward? Because what they're going to look to do, I think, is break quickly through Acosta, through uh, Brenner, through Vasquez, and try to get up that field quickly. And as we've seen, you know, last game with, with Insigne, we can be left kind of vulnerable when those things happen. All right. Well, I mean, there's maybe some hope here. I think this is one of the few situations maybe where where we have an opportunity over the rest of the season to try and get some points. It's away from home, but, you know, the vault has not been the fortress that it was earlier in the season of late. So who knows? You know, maybe we'll do better on the road. It worked at NYC. So <laughs> I will I will just say I think that this in general is kind of an unbalanced team. They have some really, really good players, and they have some up-and-coming players. You know, I, I haven't mentioned that they have a guy named Burial who looks to be an up-and-coming guy. But then I think on the other end of the spectrum, they have some aging to just mediocre players on this team, which is why I think you see them where they are in the table, which is mid-table. And so I would, if you're, if you're someone who is looking where are we going to get some points, yes, I think this is the one... And maybe that Chicago game where you circle and you say, if we're going to get some more, it's going to be in this game. Yeah, I mean, for for context, listeners, this this Cincinnati team is eighth in the East, one spot out of the playoffs. We've dropped all the way back to 12th. There's only three points of difference between us right now. Cincinnati does have a game in hand, but, you know, there's only three points of difference in between. So this is not, you know, a David versus Goliath match. This should be a couple of fairly equally matched squads going at it. And, and, you know, we've got some solidity in defense most of the time. If walks can, can stop these errors, you know, we spent the entire first half against Toronto looking pretty defensively solid. Um, you know, so it seems like it may be strength versus strength and weakness versus weakness here against Cincinnati. And those matches are always sort of a toss up. So, um, you know, stepping away from that and sort of talking about some team news and other topics, there's not really a lot to report team news wise. Um, I will say that that as far as attendance goes and, and things like that at the vault, we got a reported total of, of just over 32,000 on Saturday night. And it looked like 32,000 this time, you know, it looked pretty full. It emptied before the end of the match i think there was a lot of frustration at the sort of the quality of plays the the match went on but 
you know, this team hasn't lost the fans. It hasn't lost the city yet or anything like that. And, and I think it's important uh, for David Tepper to understand that he's got to put a good product out on the field uh, to keep that attention and to keep that focus from the, the citizens here of this town. But um, we haven't had any updates either yet on the transfer visas for uh, Byrne and for Santos, which is a little disappointing. We're getting a little later in the season. Um, there's only what, seven, six, seven matches left. Yeah. Uh, and we really need an opportunity to see these guys for a couple of different reasons. We, as the fans want to see him, we're excited. New talent means new opportunities. Uh, it's also important because we, as a club, we talked earlier about the fact that Latanzio is, is not going to be back, uh, you know, Based on what we know and, and what we have seen, we doubt highly that Latanzia will be back next season. We are now a club in the shop window. We are a club that has to sell ourselves to other managers, other talent out there that can help this club take the next step, which is becoming a more consistent club. The challenges for the playoff spot in our second season. And so... It is incumbent now on the front office of this club and on David Tepper as an owner to make it as appealing a club as possible to other managerial candidates. And I got to be honest, I don't know if we've done that. I think this transfer visa piece is just one symptom of the issue. We had we had visa issues with international players that we signed in, uh, you know, in the off season, you know, we had trouble getting uh, uh, Swiderski cleared through to play. I think we might have had an issue with Ria or with uh, Sergio Ruiz, um, and you know, now we're seeing some issues again with with Santos and Byrne getting those visa issues cleared up. And I just don't know if it doesn't indicate to me that the front office is doing their due diligence in that situation. You know, what do you think, Josh? I think those are all good points, right? You know, I'm not going to pretend that I know the intricacies of obtaining a visa and, and all of that, but it does seem like there are other teams who get their players in a lot quicker. I mean, it feels like LA was able to sign Bale and Cialini and had them on the field the next day. I think it also speaks to an issue with the front af front office as far as planning goes, right? So you have these guys, you waited the whole summer to get them. and they could have been really strong reinforcements for this club who are going to be available at a time when we're kind of out of it. Again, we're not mathematically eliminated, but it's going to take a miracle and a half for us to, to get into the playoffs. And, you know, I think about a guy like Santos, even if he's not starting, look at the Toronto game. He's an option that then if he's available to come off the bench instead of a Daniel Rios, or maybe he does get the start. And instead of him, uh, you know, coming off the bench, it's Bender coming off the bench to add something. And that's what I think has frustrated me is that it, it was very apparent from the beginning of the year and as the season went on that this squad had holes and you had early departures of players like uh, Alan Franco and then TT and then, you know, the rumors about Sergio and yet it still took forever to get these players in and they're still not able to play. And that all just speaks to your point of the front office really, I think, needs to put a a better face on themselves and needs to show whatever manager is going to come in that we are serious and we're, we're young, but we're not going to continue to make these I think silly mistakes. 
Yeah, and and I, you know, it's a, it's incredibly important that we look like an attractive situation for a new manager. We look like an area where, you know, we're going to be able to go out and get the players that a new manager is looking for. We're going to be able to fill that in. And and I got to agree with you that like a lot of these decisions, you know, you talked about the exodus of of sort of these central midfielders and one of the other things that has boggled my mind is this accumulation of what seems like almost explicitly left wingers you know we where where we've gone out and Jordi Alcivar started out out in that area uh, you know early in the season um we have Jordi Reyna who has been playing out there we went and traded for Shin Yashiki uh Yuzwiak, who you know, I, I thought when he was brought in was going to take over that right wing spot. He's seeing a lot more of his play down the left wing. We're seeing a lot of reinforcements in a spot that, you know, to be perfectly honest, we probably could have gone with just, you know, Jordi Alcivar, Jordi Reyna, maybe splitting some of that coverage on the left wing. And these decisions were made and all of these players are brought in and we kind of have coverage there, but we, we are ignoring areas where we don't have coverage. We ignored the central midfield, like you said, you know, until Santos came in, we've forced Quinn McNeil into a situation that I don't know he was ready for. You know, I think Ben Bender is probably getting more minutes in that central midfield spot than he's necessarily ready for right now um, because we don't have the reinforcements to support there. You know, we, we are still starting Christian Fuchs at left back because we don't have a better option. Um, but, you know, we've gone and signed a right back now in this transfer window at a position where I think that Jalen Lindsay has been playing phenomenally for the last few games. And you do have, I'm not hugely thrilled with, with him overall, but you do have Harrison Awful who can put in a shift and can support there in the right back spot. So I just wonder sometimes at the impression this front office gives uh, about their ability to plan, to identify the right players, to get the signings done in a timely manner, um, and whether or not that will affect our ability to attract a manager come next season. Yeah, I, I think you can, if you want to give the, the front office a little bit of a benefit of the doubt, right? You can look at a player like Byrne and you could say, well, this is just a talent and a level of player that was available, was interested, and we felt we just had to jump on it. And there is something to be said about that, right? Where if you if you have identified a player, even if it's an area of strength, but they can continue to help your team, you go for it. But in general, you would hope that they would have a list, especially since this is our first year and it got delayed, and they would hopefully have been working on you know scouting for a few years now, where they'd have sort of a Rolodex of who are we looking for? And I know it's not that easy. I know that there's a lot that goes into this with contracts abroad and all that good stuff, but it just doesn't feel like there's been a um, coherent plan throughout the season. And and that's shown in the fact that we, we switched a manager, but I also think it was shown with Mar as well. You know, I think going back to him, there were players who we brought in who I don't think were played correctly you know we he was playing bender as a winger i don't see that as bender's role he was playing um alan franco as sort of a a wide midfielder in that diamond whereas i always viewed franco as more of like a holding midfielder so this is a theme where it feels like there's been this disconnect between the front office who what kinds of players and who they're bringing in 
and the manager. And you can't always bring in players for a manager because managers aren't always going to stay. But there has to be some symbiosis between those two, um, between those two, so that you have a, a plan on the pitch. And that doesn't seem to be happening right now. Yeah, and and you know, so now we're seeing some of these extensions. We talked last week about the Shinyashiki extension. Uh, oh, th- there is a piece of team news. Bronico also signed an extension that's going to keep him here for a few years. But like, you know, we have designated players who are signed through twenty twenty five with club options for twenty twenty six that, you know, are seeing limited minutes right now. Or, I mean, Jordi Elsevar is not seeing minutes. And just as a reminder to our listeners. While Yuzwiak and Swiderski are the senior designated players, Jordi Alcivar is a young DP. He's a young designated player and is taking up that slot on our team. And yes, we can buy some of these contracts down. But is it worth buying down a designated player contract for a player that's just not seeing the field? I don't know. You know, and and why, if you are the front office for Charlotte FC, what did you see about Jordi Alcivar that two managers in a row now have not really seen that makes him worth playing? Yeah, those are all those are all great questions. And I think those are top of mind questions as this front office tries to to plot the path forward. Whatever manager you bring in, you know, I'm a big fan of Andre Shinyashiki, but it's clear that Latanzio does not rate him as a as a wide player. I'd be curious to know what other managers think of him. And if that is a sentiment that would be shared, then I think you have to figure out, okay, well, how do we get him and Swiderski on the bench? Or sorry, not on the bench, but on the field together. (laughs) Because you can't keep playing. I don't think you can keep playing Shinyashiki on the bench, especially after you re-sign him, unless that's what he's okay with. And that seems hard for me to believe. He's only, I think, 25, 26. This is the prime of his career. I can't imagine he's going to be happy just being a super sub. Maybe I'm wrong. A player like Jordi Alcivar, I think that there's real talent in there. And I think one of the issues is where is he most talented at? I'm of the opinion that the further up the pitch Jordi gets, the less effective he gets. So is he another deep-lying midfielder? And if that's the case, okay, then how are we getting him and Bronico in the team together? And... All of these are, are questions that you would hope would have been figured out before you bring in the player, um, but clearly haven't been. And there's something to be said about that, you know, and, and what we're going to do moving forward. And hopefully this front office starts starts getting a real game plan together. Yeah, it, it, you know, something's got to change. Something has to improve. Uh all, all the way through this organization, top to bottom, for things to get better next season. You know, the front office has to support, I think, management better. Uh, it, you know, going back to Marr, he famously said before the season started that we were screwed. Um, I don't think that we are, as a team, screwed. Uh, we have, I think, performed better than than I think he expected. But we haven't made the playoffs. No. And and I think the bigger thing is that if you, you know, it's hard for us fans to do it because we all have players that we love. We all have fan favorites, you know, that this is a this is a group of players I think a lot of fans will remember just because it's the first group of players for this club. But I think if you try to step back and really take an objective look at this squad right now, 
there is a lack of talent. And I do think that that speaks to the job that Mar was doing and that Christian Latanzio has done is that I don't think that this is an overly talented squad top to bottom. And so to be in the position that we're on, we're in, I think does show some good things are happening at this squad, but that's not enough, right? You, you need to, you need to realize, okay, we did the first year thing. We had the manager change already. We were sort of bringing in players a little bit, maybe haphazardly. Let's try to nail down what our future looks like going into year two, because as you said before, the fans haven't given up on this, on this season. I wouldn't say they haven't given up on supporting this club, but you can't bank on that happening year in and year out. And I think having early success with any expansion side, you know, looking at a, a team like Atlanta and how ravenous that fan base is, it's, it's a direct result of the early success that they have and how they've been able to build off of that. Yep. And, and if David Tepper wants to keep selling out this vault, he has to figure out how to get the product on the field to improve. So um, I think we're we're about done with this one. I feel like we have beaten up pretty hard <laughs> on this team top to bottom today. Uh, and uh, please don't ever think that our criticism means that we love this club any less. We absolutely adore it. We had a great time. For those of you who missed the post-react, Josh had a chance to come with us to the stadium, be in the press box. Mm -hmm. It was a great experience. Fantastic. Um, we're going to keep doing that kind of stuff. We're going to keep seeing, you know, the, the game from that angle, try and get you more access to the players and to the fans. Um, and uh, so we will speak to you again after we go and uh, play for our next three points against <laughs> FC Cincinnati this weekend. Good night. Queen City Podcast Network .com.